0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Hello everyone, this is Paul Brennan, a professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf. Here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the volunteer state. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments, professional amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We'll talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us in our favorite directories, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. So, we just had Labor Day week. I hope everybody had fun, was able to get out and play some golf and see what's going on. Uh, I know I was able to uh, spend some time with the family as well. Um, Because of the holiday weekend, we had no tournaments, nothing going on um, here in the state. So, to celebrate this being my 37th week on the air, I'm actually going to go back and replay my most listened to episode and that was with joey hickman from in his grip golf again backstory on joey he uh was a college coach i don't know if we talked about it a ton in the video or in the audio but joey recruited me out of high school to play college golf um i made a decision went to a different school but remained friends with him over the years um he's been a big inspiration in my life um he was uh, a teaching professional a college coach, took over as head professional, moved his way up to director of golf position, and then took this uh, position within his group as director of, of Tennessee operations. Um, and now it's expanding towards the southeast. I know he's going down to Alabama as well. Um, but it is a, it's, a, it's a golf Bible study group. So every week uh, they get together, they talk about uh, the word, the scripture, Uh, And then there's golf afterwards if there's time. Um, But again, great motivational uh, person, uh, great inspiration in my life. Uh, I talk to Joey weekly, um, confide in him, um, and he helps me get through lots of things uh, with just some guidance. So again, Joey, thank you for that so much. But I'm going to go ahead and play that episode, everybody. So go back, listen to this one. Again, this was my most listened to episode so far of the series. Uh, We should be back after the holiday week, uh, back with some regular tournaments. First of all, I want to introduce Joey Hickman, Tennessee director for In His Grip Golf. Uh, Joey's a good friend of mine. We've known each other longer than we care to admit. In fact, about 28, 29 years ago, he started recruiting me for college golf. Joey, say hello to everyone. Hi, everybody. So, Joey. Again, we've known each other for almost 30 years now. You've put up with me through a lot and, and helped me out through a lot. But tell me a little bit about you. How did you get in golf? How would you get started? Where did it all come from?
2: Well, this all ties back to my dad. Uh, my dad used to play professional baseball, and uh, he was a member of the Cubs in the late 60s and early 70s. And a PGA Tour performer named Raymond Floyd used to come work out with the Cubs during spring training. They developed a friendship um i wasn't good enough to play baseball uh just average at best and i fell in love with golf and that's how i got hooked up playing golf and my dad supported me and pushed me and ray would send uh balls and gloves and whatever else uh, to push me along the way so um quite impressionable upon an eight nine year old young boy to pick up golf when he had uh, baseball in his
1: background so raymond floyd's a major influence to help get you involved in the game that's am- awesome right there so Let's talk about junior golf. Eight and nine, getting involved in it. Dad's a a major league player, getting to know all these guys. How did you start playing? Did you start playing in junior tournaments? Were you just playing at the local club? Tell me about where you grew up and what was the local club you were at?
2: I grew up in a tiny town named Henning, Tennessee. Uh, The county seat was Ripley. Still is Ripley. Um, The county only has about 22,000 people, so it's a small rural county in West Tennessee. At a small nine-hole golf course, Rolling Hills Country Club, and I, I basically just went out there all the time whenever I could. Um, the older I got, the more they would take me out there and drop me off in the morning and pick me up right before dark. And I'd have about $3 to my name, and I think it cost 75 cents to get a hot dog, chips, and drink way back when in the 70s, and uh, I just played golf all the time. I'd play till I got hot, go jump in the pool, go back out and play more, and uh, I would do that every day that they would let me do that um a lot of fun didn't get to start playing with my dad until i was about 16 or 17 but those early years from 11 to about 16 um i I cut a lot of teeth there on rolling hills country club
1: and so then played well enough played into high school uh took yourself into college where did you play in college at Started out trying to
2: walk on at Memphis State University, um, now the University of Memphis. Um, lasted about three semesters, wasn't getting to play a whole lot. I wasn't that uh, that good of a player. I was a lot better in my mind than I was uh, on paper. So I went the junior college route and wound up um, getting out of there and going to University of Tennessee at Martin, where I had to sit out a year after transfer, didn't know all those rules ahead of time. I should have graduated from the junior college and did not um but uh, sat out a year and then i went and played for a year uh didn't didn't play very well at ut martin i, I think i was more the captain of the drinking team than i was uh the golf team i was uh, living quite uh quite a different lifestyle then and it, it carried over into the golf course
1: okay so then finished up college How did you turn professional? What did you do between college and turning pro and and making that decision to give back to the game?
2: After I graduated from college, um, I I was planning on going and trying to play somewhere, still chase the dream, you know, just wanted to go somewhere down south and live and play. And during that winter of 86-87, my father received a phone call from Chief Bender who was a scout for Cincinnati Reds baseball organization and offered my dad a job as a minor league hitting instructor. And I remember sitting at the dinner table and my dad says, oh yeah, I think I'd like to do that. My son Joey just graduated from college and he can uh, look after the farm for me while I'm gone. Well, there went my plans to go south. And uh, obviously uh, I was a little dejected, but looking back uh, with the hindsight as the mirror, I see God's hand in that that uh, he allowed me to Run the farm for four years, taught me a lot about myself, taught me a lot about him, um, wound up uh, getting saved while I was farming, and uh, the rest is, is history. So after four years of doing that in 1991, I drove to Jackson, Tennessee to talk to a friend of mine that was working on a course over there to see about becoming a club professional. And I walked in. He wasn't there. And I just started talking to the lady behind the counter. And she said, well, he doesn't work here anymore, um, but his job is open. If you're interested, we'd like to interview you. Well, (laughs) the interview lasted about seven minutes. I got offered the job. And next thing you know, I'm first assistant professional at uh, Hidden Valley Golf Club in Jackson, Tennessee. And uh, now here I am 29 years later. Still, still involved in golf.
1: So, went in to talk to a friend and, and to about a job, and wind up interviewing while you were there. So that's kind of spur of the moment. Got
2: his job. Yes, yeah. was, that was crazy.
1: So your dad goes down or, or goes down, and starts uh, coaching, uh, helping with the batting practice and stuff like that. You are running the farms. You got into the business. So now your your dad mo- stays home, moves back home, takes over the farm. How that kind of transition? Well, uh, when
2: I decided to go uh, in 1991 and and actually get into the working world away from the farm my heart was always the passion was always there to be involved in golf and my dad knew that and he encouraged me we basically just stopped farming I've got uh, three other brothers and two of them were were nearby and they were able to farm the little bit of land that my dad had at one time we were working about 2,000 acres and by this time we were working about uh, 500 acres 300 row crop, 200 in this uh, conservation reserve program that we had. I just had to bush hog it once or twice a year. Um, I, um, I, it was really pretty easy and pretty seamless for me to go to work in the golf industry and to learn from, um, young man in, in Jackson, Tennessee. Tom Talkington was my first, uh, first golf boss, first head professional director of golf and, uh, learned a lot from him and, um, just, You know, it was just, it was kind of seamless, to be honest with you. Um, My brothers still live nearby the family farm, and and, uh, we've got a small farm, about a 10-acre plot that we each have stake in. Both my parents have have, uh, passed on, and so a couple of them still farm on the side, and um, you know, it it doesn't quite get out of your blood. It got out of mine. I've I've never worked as hard as when I worked on the farm, Um, but... um, you know, um, I just I felt like this was what I was supposed to do. And, uh, again, look in hindsight, I can see exactly how God weaves his story through all of that.
1: Okay, so now twice I've heard you mention in this conversation that you weren't a very good player, but yet I remember seeing your name on the wall for the uh, course record at Serval Country Club, little nine-hole course in West Tennessee growing up. So, again, known your name longer than I've known you. Uh, but so tell me about your playing. Tell me about... As a professional accomplishment that you've done, I know you've played in a PGA Tour event. You've played in two national club pros. Um, you were a college coach. How did you help players? Tell me how your playing helped you grow other players around you and make them better at the game.
2: I think a lot of it had to do with where my priority was at that particular time. Um, I wanted all the glory and everything that came from playing really well but i wasn't willing to put the time in so when i was working in jackson um at hidden valley and got offered the coaching job at lambeth university um i I jumped at it i mean for one thing it was a four thousand dollar supplement to my pay uh secondly to be able to tell those young men what i did wrong and help them to um try to apply that to their uh, their golf careers and their lives because you have to prioritize things if you want to succeed. Um, I live by the five Ps of successful um, living. Proper planning prevents poor performance and I, I tried to utilize that in my teaching. Help them as much as I could to understand that. Understand their limitations. Uh, not necessarily to play away from their weaknesses but definitely to play toward their strengths. Um, For me, I had a great short game. I didn't hit a lot of greens. uh, But if I had a wedge in my hand, I felt like I could hold it from just about any place. Um, That helped me to shoot some of those course records that you saw in those small country clubs in West Tennessee. And uh, When I started playing the longer courses in college, it it was a challenge because I didn't drive it very straight. I didn't hit my my long irons very well. I had to learn how to do all that. So I applied myself. And I, I remember almost to the day, uh, when I was playing at Hidden Valley and and I would struggle to shoot uh, low to mid 70s on that golf course. It was tree-lined and long and I remember almost to the day when it just clicked that I started hitting my irons a little bit more solidly and a little bit straighter and uh, I turned in a, a, a score in the 60s and I was I was kind of set from then on because it, it's like a light bulb just came on. Hey, you don't have to drive it perfectly. You don't have to hit every shot perfectly but you do have to play to your strengths and uh, when I started coaching, I think that helped my game. I think that's what uh, made me a little bit better player and allowed me to, to qualify for those tournaments you mentioned. And, and uh, the rest is history.
1: Again, playing in a, a PJ tournament at the FedEx, how did you qualify for that one? Tell her, tell her, our listeners how that happened.
2: Prior to 2006, uh, the Tennessee section was given four spots into the uh, FedEx St. Jude Classic. If I call it the Danny Thomas Memphis classic forgive me I grew up with it with that name and in 87 it changed its name to the FedEx St. Jude classic but uh, we would use one of those spots for the section champion and the other three we would actually play for so uh, I I tried several times to go down and try to qualify and never made it and in 2006 uh, I went down uh, it was very wet Uh, I think we were playing at about 7,000 yards it was very wet and very long, uh, we we had to walk, and I think I shot, uh, on the front nine, I shot 40, uh, par was 70, and I think I shot 40, and I made the turn to the back nine, I looked at uh, my friend Jeff, who was caddying for me, and I said, hey, let's just go have fun, it wasn't Jeff, it was Taylor, so let's just go have fun on the back nine, and, and uh put our time in, and see what happens, and
1: um, I wound up shooting 34 in the back. So you go out in 40, come back in 34, sitting in, what are you thinking? What are you going to do? He goes, Aren't you going to stick around? This this might do some good. It, the conditions were hard to us, I and I don't know.
3: Let's go have lunch and see what happens. There was about twenty of us playing. Bob Walcott was qualifying, and Mike Bennett, and all these other guys that were in the Tennessee section that were just great players. Bob played on tour for fifteen years, so you know, there's no way I'm going to beat Bob Walcott. Well the last group uh was out on the golf course still and I'm I'm in second place. Uh there was a seventy one and a seventy four and the next lowest score was uh eighty and that was Bob Walcott. And I'm like, Man, I got a chance here and the last group came in and the and the lowest score in the group was seventy nine and I felt like I had won the lottery. Uh, <laughs> You know, it was it was like wow! I cannot believe this. I, I did not play well at all on the front nine, on the back nine. I, I guess I just relaxed, and lo and behold, I got I got one of the the two spots that was up that day. Uh, I think I said three spots earlier, but by this time we were down to two spots for uh, the club pros to try to qualify. And uh, man, I just had the time of my life that week. I, I did not play well in the tournament. I, I just wasn't. Uh, I wasn't ready for that um physically i wasn't ready for it emotionally um I, I tried as hard as i could and i had fun but i you know i made some some poor choices and didn't play very well and uh i beat one guy that week out of 156 his name is Stephen botich and since then Stephen botich has won three pga tour events and, I tell people I've folded a million shirts and sweaters since that time. So depending on how you look at it, I either won by a million or I lost by three PGA Tour wins,
0: you know? Yeah. So you've brought it up a couple times, um, faith. uh, And I I talk about this every time I talk to you. I I remember when you were recruiting me, um, you were a deacon in the church then. So this is not something that just came about. It's something that's been deep-rooted in you. And you mentioned earlier in the interview that you were saved at the farm so tell me about your faith and how did you come to find or how did In His Grip Golf find you
3: well it's a loaded question I will try to do my very best without tearing up on this because it's it's kind of ironic that we're doing this today when we are uh, March 25th Um, 31 years ago tomorrow March 26th um, I decided to try to go alcohol free for a week God had been working on my heart for a long time. I was raised in the church. I was a quote unquote good kid for the most part, but I got misguided. you know I got involved with people that uh like to drink and 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 got me drinking and I was living all about uh joey and uh march twenty sixth I said you know what this is time to to give this a try so um god had been working on me for some time i remember driving down the road and was listening to some cds with some uh songs on there that were uh pretty uh hard rockish and and a lot of things about the world at that particular time with uh sex and drugs and drinking and rock and roll and all that stuff and i I took these two cds and i flung them out the window of my truck driving down the, the road so i did litter Um, I apologize for that, but I had to get that out of my truck because I just felt like God was trying to change me from the inside out. And so I I went that week and I was very to myself and very, um, I guess, I guess you'd say alone trying to figure some of this stuff out. And on April 4th, I'm, I'm wrong. April 1st, um, a good friend came and picked me up and wanted to take me to go see a, a movie. The, the movie was uh, titled Beaches. And she drove up into my driveway. We, we grew up together in the same town. We never dated, just good friends. And uh, she she had brought me uh, an open beer. And I, I had to look at her and say, you know, I, I've been alcohol-free for a week now, and I want to see how long I can go. I just feel like God's got something crazy for me she goes oh okay okay so we went and saw the movie and came back home and had a big time you know and, and that night i was a volunteer fireman for a hitting fire department that night we got a, a phone call uh on our little we wore a beeper at that time nobody had cell phones back then we still had landlines um and the beeper went off and, and all it said was catastrophe Hatchie river bridge be prepared to stay for a while and so i threw on my firefighters gear and jumped in my truck and and drove down to the bridge and i got there about the same time the fire truck did we had no idea what was going on but we were going to run the lights for the covington fire department the bridge was between tipton and lauderdale county And um, lo and behold, as soon as we turned the lights on, we saw the bridge, the northbound bridge from Highway 51 had collapsed. And seven uh, spans of that bridge was now down in the water. And I had never been confronted with death outside of a loved one, you know, an aunt, uncle, grandparent, whatever that had passed away. Um, That's really the only contact I'd had with death up to this period of time well we turn the lights on and we shine them down there and there's dead bodies on cars in the edge of the the river with an expanse of the bridge laying on top of the car seven people wound up dying uh, in that uh, event and God just impressed upon me at that time like Joey if you'd have been on that bridge where would you have spent eternity and I don't know that I could have answered that with the word heaven, um, because I had lived such a crazy, selfish life up to that point. And so I think between March 26th and April 1st, God was getting my heart ready for what was taking place that night uh, with that bridge uh, falling into the river. So... I began to hang out with people in, in uh, Tipton County that were—I know—they were, I know they were uh, church-going, Bible-believing people about my age. We we started this club called the Young Adult Christian Club. I started getting filled with the Word with those guys, and they were discipling me. Wound up in '91, moving to Jackson. This is a year and a half later, two years later, moving to Jackson to get in the golf business and. Uh, So, I've always had faith there since um, March 26th to April 1st of 1989. Uh, I've always, I've always believed that uh, I was saved on March 26th, but he nailed it home on the night of April 1st. And I decided that I was going to live the rest of my life for him. So. Through golf, um, started out coaching a small college team in, in Jackson, Lambeth University. I loved that. I loved spending time with you guys and helping you with your games, helping you with your your lives, and hopefully modeling something for everybody that happened to be there. I was working full time teaching uh, golf and and working behind a counter. Um, I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, great great time in the in the career side of golf and at long about 2011 um i've been in nashville since 1996 that's become my home working as head professional at old Creek country club one of my members came to me with an all-expense paid trip to scotland and this was right at the middle two-thirds of the golf season i'm like man there's no way my board's gonna let me go Will they let me go I remember walking off 18 green at the old course about the third day we were there. And at the time, I had Titleist hats, and on the back of the hat, it said Mark eight thirty six, which says, Well, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That was my life verse, still is. And this gentleman came up to me, and he goes, tell me about that verse. And I start telling him about it, and he's got a Southern drawl, and I look at him real close, and I said, you look familiar. He goes, well, my name's Bert Dargy. Well, Bert lives in in Nashville now, but his father was Bert Dargy, and he had a golf shop in Memphis. Everybody went to it, that's where I got all of my clubs and equipment um, through junior golf and college. And, and I'm like, man, I, God put me halfway around the world, and I'm meeting a guy from Memphis, Tennessee, who now lives in Nashville. And he starts telling me about this guy named Scott Layman and this ministry in his grip well i'm on the other side of the world finding out about a ministry that's in my backyard here in nashville and when i get home I, I i call scott and set up a time to meet him and we wound up hosting a couple in his grip golf tournaments at the church i was going to at the time and uh, then we went dormant after that 2014 um and then uh god just started working on my heart man the last couple of years i was working at old hickory that he he was expecting something bigger and better and Look, I I built a teaching building at the end of the range at Old Hickory. I was going to go down there and teach when I retired from behind the counter and just walk into retirement Mm -hmm. and teach 10 or 12 lessons and play six or seven times a week. And, you know, that was going to be my life. And uh, God just called me into this ministry where now we go into clubs and courses and talk to, to men, young and old. Uh, set up Bible studies with them, do about a 30 to 60 minute Bible study. And then we play nine or 18 holes of golf. We use golf to build the relationships with the men, but we're, we're embedding the word deep into their hearts. And we're trying to uh, help them to, to become the men, the spiritual leaders in their homes that God's called on to be. And uh, I've been doing that now. This is my third year. I retired the end of uh, 2017 with old hickory. Um, started working for Scott, um, officially March 1st of 2018, but I went to work for him January 1st, my very next day, um, just to, to, to get into the ministry and start making phone calls and try to get into doors and, uh, pro shops. So now we've got, uh, 14 locations where we're doing Bible studies in middle Tennessee and just recently been named the director of Tennessee and, started my first Zoom conference call Sunday night with uh, 16 pros across the state and trying to show them how easy it is to do these Bible um, studies that we use and uh, see where it goes from there. So if it sounds like I've got the best of both worlds, I do, both of my passions wrapped into one uh, job slash ministry, uh, golf and, and God. And uh, I, I tell you, it's never been been better or as spiritually rich as it is right now for me. I get to wake up in the morning and have my devotion time and spend a lot of time in the word and uh, go help other men, uh, help their families and uh, just, just allow God to just work his magic through this, this ministry called in his grip.
0: And I was involved in that phone call Sunday, and I know you've got uh, multiples today with everything going on with golf courses being shut down. You're still able to get out with Zoom and contact people from every ministry that you're dealing with. So tell everybody how to get to your website, uh, and then what plans do you all have for 2020 going up?
3: The website is www.inhisgripgolf.com. We've also got an app. Um, I'm not quite sure how you get there I don't know if it's on the app store But I can send it to you Um, If you want to contact me uh, On my cell phone Am I allowed to give out my number on this?
0: Sure, Joey, you can do anything Uh, you want to It's your time
3: My cell phone is 615-429-6058 I'll be glad to share that app with you You can access the um, website off of that And you can keep up with our events Most of our events early on Have been cancelled we had a pro celebrity schedule for April 7th at Top Golf. Uh, we've done that um, the last two years, been very successful. It's a major fundraiser for the ministry. We had to postpone that for uh, this virus that's uh, got us under quarantine at the moment. We're, we have rescheduled that for July 14th. It's a Tuesday evening. Um, the general public can't come because there's not enough space for everybody to come hang out, but we have. Four amateurs, one Tennessee PGA professional, and one celebrity on a team. And we do about a 30-minute program. We eat, and then we go to the bays, and we play a game or two of top golf and uh, give out uh, prizes for the uh, best-scoring team there. Uh, We have an invitational in June that we've had to postpone. We've actually canceled it because we're just not sure what's going to happen after this. We get back to what we call normal. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go uh, in, in, invitational less this this year, 2020. But we'll, we'll be back on the books 2021. It's always the Monday after Father's Day at Legends Club. The thing that I'm really excited to tell you about is we have had a very um, large uh, donor, a, a huge friend of the ministry, uh, come forward and. Sponsor the Honors Council Fire Pro-Am that we play uh, every year in August at uh, Honors Course and Council Fire down in Chattanooga. It's a major fundraiser for the Tennessee Golf Foundation. And this donor has paid uh, a large sum of money to put the name In His Grip on this event. So it's going to be known as the Honors Council Fire Pro-Am sponsored by In His Grip uh we're not going to get any proceeds off this event but there are uh last year i think there were 58 teams this year i think they're reducing it to 52 teams um there'll be 52 teams of four one professional and three ams from their club and it will give us a lot of exposure in the state of tennessee uh, there are a couple of teams that come out of uh georgia and uh alabama that uh, might it might go back into those places as well I'm very excited about that. I played in that event probably 20 of the last 22 years just to play those two golf courses, but now it's going to have even more meaning. That it's going to uh, take the ministry that I work for and work with and give it uh, broaden our horizons a little bit throughout the state. So very excited about that.
0: Well, also talking about broadening, I know last year y'all sponsored uh, one of the events at uh, Pebble Beach, and our good friend Brooks West winds up hitting a hole in one while he's out there. So how did that one come to be?
3: How about that? Um, Brian Jorgensen, the head professional at Nashville Golf and Athletic, uh, had played in the Wilson World Pro-Am at Pebble Beach about 15 years in a row. And he had actually talked to the two gentlemen that were – uh, owners of that pro-am a couple of years ago and said, if you ever want to sell it, I'd be interested in buying it. Well, they were both in their eighties and one of them wound up passing away about a year ago this time. And other, gen- other gentlemen called Brian and said, Hey, we're, we're taking bids on this. We, we know you're interested in it. Would you be willing to place a bid? Brian said, well, sure. So long story short, uh, Brian was one of the lowest bids, uh, offered out of nine or 10. Uh, the gentleman that owned it called Brian, and said, Brian, I, 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 regret to inform you that you're, you're one of the lowest bids that, that has been offered, but we want to know what you have planned for this for the next 40 years. We've run it for the last 40. We want to know what your plans are. And Brian goes, well, that's easy. He says, I want to, I want to make a name change. He says, wait a minute. You're going to take a 40 year old pro-am known as the Wilson World Pro-am and change the name. He said, yeah, I'm going to call it the In His Grip World Pro-am. So, lo and behold, Brian on his own, who, who is a, a wonderful friend of the ministry and, and, a, and a personal close friend of, of mine and Scott's, um, did this on his own. He called and asked permission. Scott normally vets everything through his board. Uh, he, he went ahead and told Brian, go ahead and do it. And I'll, I'll, I'll ask the board's forgiveness. The board mm-hmm. gave That's grace. Um, and so, um, you know, what had had as few as 13 teams in 2018 in 2019 they had 27 teams that went to pebble beach and they had another 26 teams on the wait list um putting faith and golf together taking it to pebble beach and not only did brooks make the hole-in-one on seven and we captured it on video but another gentleman made a hole-in-one on 12 about an hour later um so we had two hole-in-ones and they're for Thirty-nine years that the Wilson World Pro-Am had taken place, not one single hole in one.
0: Oh gosh!
3: In that event, so uh, imagine how Brooks feels. You know, if if there is a a hole that's known as Mecca in golf, uh, I believe it's number seven at Pebble Beach because you you can hit as little as a lob wedge or as much as a five or six iron, depending on how the wind is blowing. It's a hundred yards straight downhill. And if the wind's coming in off the, the ocean, uh, good luck. I've played it twice. I didn't get to play it this year. My team fell apart, but I've played it twice in the past. And I've hit uh, lob wedge and gap wedge on that hole. So it wasn't a lot of wind when I got to play it. But uh, I know I've seen some some... Pictures of some of the U.S. Opens hosted there, and, and professionals have hit five and six iron out over the ocean. to let the wind curve it back in.
0: Yeah, you can definitely uh, see no. those highlights. Uh, I think it was Tom Kite with the wind just almost breaking the flag in half. Imagine
3: him winning that event the way he did, and that wind blowing 30, 35 miles an hour sustained. Yeah, I'm not sure I could walk and sustain 30-mile-an-hour winds, but he, he won a major tournament, so pretty incredible
0: well Joey I want to be mindful of your time thank you so much for coming on with us today uh, again everybody that's Joey Hickman uh, Tennessee director for In His Grip Golf uh, he's given out his cell phone number so you can go back and find that in the timestamp. stamp you can find him on the website Joey thank you so much any parting words for us today
3: man just keep it in the fairway and uh, if you do you're going to be amazed at what happens
0: perfect thanks so much Joey
1: So, everybody, thank you all so much uh, for listening to that replay of the interview with Joey Hickman. Um, In His Grip has resumed all of their normal operations. so They're back to playing. Uh, You can find them on inhisgripgolf.com. Find Joey. Find Scott. um, Find a group that you can get in and start playing with so things are starting to open up. Um, Everybody, uh, I've got a tournament in two weeks. so I hope everybody's out there practicing, working on the game. And um, as Joey said in the interview, keep it in the fairway and you'll be amazed at what can happen. So talk to y'all next week. Again, this is Paul Brandon with Believe in Tennessee Golf and the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and the Believe Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf Have a great week.